Swanson to first. to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. And Lightning has struck twice. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Hello, episode number 118 of Four Future Considerations. I'm John Rashad, still digesting all the chocolate from Easter. Here with my two good friends, Manny and Matt. Guys, how you doing? How was your Easter? It was it was good. It was uh, like we said before, uh, not a huge chocolate guy, but uh, put my weight in in uh, in some of my kids' uh, candies for sure. So, what time did you guys get up, or what time were you, did you have to get up? I got up at six forty-five. On like Easter Christmas. Sunday. Yeah, it's like Christmas. The kids are so excited. For Easter, Easter's, guys, Easter's the one of, if not the most overrated holiday in the calendar. But we're like, we're having this discussion, uh, myself and, and a few other people, like the buying gifts for kids at Easter now. And uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know where, where you sit on the fence, but I mean, this was... I used to get a little, a bunch of little Hershey's Kisses, and uh, have to chase them literally in my backyard of my parents' house in the rain most of the time to get them. Yeah, you I had to get do work presents for it. or anything. You had to do work for it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get no presents for that. I got like one solid chocolate bunny one year. If I wasn't looking around for eggs, because nobody else was into it either. Here, have a bunny, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Crosby got a bunny that was missing the ears from last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate on some of those bunnies was so hard, you'd almost break your teeth off. Oh, yeah. I think I did one year. <laughs> I my, my grandma, God bless her, um, at some point when I was younger, it got to my grandma that I liked white chocolate. And, like, I liked white chocolate, but I didn't really have a crazy preference from what I remember white chocolate over regular chocolate but for a good half decade i got those two and a half three pounds like the the solid bunnies that could take a, a shot from a cannon of white <laughs> chocolate and i think in total if you were to combine all of it that i ate i might have eaten one of them but it was a lot a lot of white chocolate yeah, I think they were called Mr. Solid, right? And then there was Mr. White, and they were like an inch thick. I've, I've heard that name used for something else. <laughs> but people also lost their teeth on it, too. <laughs> you use a little teeth, but you don't want to be a biter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. No, no. <laughs> The only thing good about Easter is I eat like a king, like yeah. not chocolate. Like I went to my parents in Strathroy and mm -hmm. got to see the family and you had Portuguese dishes as well as turkey, as well as ham. It is like a Christmas feast. Portuguese dinners. Isn't that Mr. Solid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is you're because you're on the toilet afterwards. <laughs> uh, yeah, we screwed up at our house. We barbecued hamburgers on uh, Easter, and then that night we were like, "Oh, 
we didn't remember to buy each other any chocolate. So John hits up the store the next day, half price. But yeah. you said you were going to do that. You go yeah. every year. Yes, it's guys. True, yeah. I, I got her a Laura Secord little thing. It had Ooh. a bunny in it, like a plush rabbit. And it had a, a little bucket in there. And it had um, Laura Secord mini eggs. Uh, it was pretty good. That's all right. If I think yeah. about it, the Easter bunny probably has it better than Santa. For sure. Because you don't have to give as many presents. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And not everybody believes in Easter. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I so don't you think don't anybody's really questioning the Easter bunny. Yeah. And then uh, I saw somewhere online that that's the difference between Santa and the Easter bunny. Santa, you got to be good for him for like a month. The Easter bunny lets you do whatever the hell you want and you still get chocolate. <laughs> yeah. The Easter, these, and some of these ramshackle Easter bunnies that, that are out there. Holy. Good the, word. Their, their costumes need some upgrades for, for some of these guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they look like they should be in horror movies. Although there was a- I, we saw one when we were driving around in Walkerville, and I wasn't sure if he was dancing for cans or what. But <laughs> I might have seen the same guy. There was a guy six foot six in my neighborhood dressed as a bunny. I'm like, who is this guy? Oh, that was Phil. That was Phil from around the corner. <laughs> You'll see him there on August 15th, too. <laughs> Just in the bunny head, though. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of cosplay. A lot of cosplay. Oh, nice. <laughs> His nickname is Mr. Soller. Big, big thanks to everyone who reached out over the last week after our last two episodes. Let's get us back on the rails. Uh, we appreciate you listening. The feedback for the last two episodes, just incredible. Yeah, big thanks to Christine and Jonathan and Curtis, especially, who wrote glowing emails about our debate last week. Curtis, in particular, said the uh, Def Leppard puns had him in hysteria, which we enjoyed. We thought that was a good one. And uh, Jonathan loved the fighting between Manny and Matt. So uh, I'm sure there won't be any of that this week, will there? No, we're in our best behavior. I, I talked to Manny before the show. We agree on everything. This should be about 11 minutes. Yes. <laughs> and if you believe that, the Easter Bunny's outside waiting to give you something else now. <laughs> hey, Curtis is, is, is the cowboy. We're going to be talking to him in a couple of weeks about oh, the Kentucky the Derby? Derby. Yeah. Right. This guy. This guy's from Michigan. Big Red Wings fan. Lives in California, huge fan of the show. This is going to be an all-timer. Set your, set your alarms for this one. Jeez, this is going to be huge. Now, if you keep writing us emails, we may have to get you on the show as well. Yeah, feedback as well. Perry, Diane, Kelly, Kate, uh, for their feedback on the episode on Luca Hano, the Windsor Spitfires. If you hadn't listened to that one, that was the previous OT episode. So take a listen to that one. We've got the debate show from before. Uh, this is the debate show now. We've got the OT coming up on Friday. It's a it's a full it's a full package for you here. That's right. We have another special guest, as Matt mentioned, on the OT later this week. But on this podcast, let's see if we can create more chaos and friction between the two of you. Let's start with something that I read on social media this week. The idea of the 3-2-1 point system in hockey. 100 seconds still available in overtime. And a loose. Mark Giordano's in scores! Giordano's got the game winner! 
So this isn't new. This is something they've been discussing as far back as 2004 in the NHL, but it was never implemented. So just to recap, it's three points for a win in regulation, two points for an overtime win, and one point for an overtime loss. What do you guys think of this idea? I love the separation. Uh, I love the separation from an overtime win and an overtime loss and teams playing for the one point and they've got just the one floating extra one from overtime. I also think it depends for me on how you're playing out these OT rules. Um, for me, I mean, shootouts should be half a point. If you're going to be doing shootouts for a win, you should lose points if you lose uh, a shootout. Uh, but if you're going to do three on three, you know, again, you finish a 60-minute game in regulation, you win that game. There's more value to that than winning with a three on three with the, the other, other extra seven minutes. And you look at how it would change the standings today. And the perfect example of that is Dallas, who's right now just hovering in that Western Conference going up and down. They've got 43 wins on the season this year. 29 of them are regulation wins. A lot of overtime wins for, or, or lot, uh, not a lot of regulation wins, more overtime wins for Dallas. When in comparison, Vegas who was at 41 wins at the time that we record this, has 33 wins in regulation. So it makes a four-point difference there for Vegas compared to Dallas just from that regulation win standpoint. I think it gets better teams in, and I, I think it's a great idea. I think there should be more value for winning a game in regulation as opposed to whatever they've made the showcase that is overtime. See, I don't love this, and I also don't like the current system because I think every game should have the same value. I don't think that you should get different numbers of points for different outcomes of a game. I think a game should be worth what a game is worth, and so I've never been a fan of varying point totals based on the outcome of a game. I think it should be you get the same number if you win, no matter what kind of win it is, and you don't get any if you lose. Listen, John's getting right into the friction here and the chaos. He's starting to disagree. This is the best because I'm with Rashad on this. How come you get a point for losing? Why do you get a point for losing, Matt? I'm not defending getting a point for losing. I don't think you should get a point for losing. I think you should get an extra point for winning within the regulation. I never said you get a point for lo- We've always got a point for losing if you get to overtime. I'm all for it. If you want to take a point away, if you get into overtime and overtime is worth two points for the win and for the loss, it's zero. I'm all on board for that. A hundred percent. Love it. Absolutely love it. Because the LA Kings have 10 points just in overtime losses. They're right at 90 points as we record this. Yeah. Otherwise, they would be 80 and below John Rashad's Vancouver Canucks in the playoff Ooh. race. Bad place oh, that's to be, convenient. Right? <laughs> this backs up my point of view entirely. Now I'm an even bigger proponent of changing this back. So then what about two points for a regulation win, one point for an overtime win, and zero points for a loss? Because I don't think you should get a point for losing. Yeah, I agree with that. It's better anyway. Yeah, it, it, it creates – you have to create the value because the problem with, with – the, the NHL at the end of the game, and I'm talking the last two minutes, three minutes of a game, the strategy changes entirely, right? You're just 100%. trying to get to your point. Yeah. You're just trying to get the point. If you're so, the LA Kings, I, I, you're trying to get one point, right? Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. And there's a lot of teams, and the LA Kings are going to be one because they're going to make the playoffs. 
are, are going to be an example of that. They're just they just chip away a point at a time. But for you to lose a game a little bit longer than it took you to not <laughs> to lose a game in regulation to create an extra point for somebody just because they didn't lose as quickly does has never made any sense. The Vancouver Canucks example is probably not the best because they too have ten points in overtime losses as well. So <laughs> they it. get a, they get Shane right now if they yeah. uh, <laughs> go figure right. But I mean, like you're right, Matt. The last two minutes of a tie game, they're just they're not playing for the win. They're playing to yeah. go to extra time. Yeah, and it's become bad hockey that way. There's got to be some incentive for you to win in a sixty minute game. Um, because the game is – the league's not a win-loss league anymore. It's a points accumulation league because of the way it's set up. Um, so that's why I don't think there should be a point for losing. However you want to decide the 60-point versus overtime win, I think there should be a point difference there. And the NHL has also announced the Winter Classic will return to Fenway Park in Boston. The Bruins will host the Pittsburgh Penguins. Matt, I think I know how you feel about this, but uh, I'll ask you both. Is it time for the NHL to give up on the Winter Classic? So my answer to this is it's not just the Winter Classic, though, right? They have other outdoor games like the Winter Classic, as I remember it, is the one that's held New Year's Day every year. Yeah, and then they also have the Stadium Series. Heritage Classic, the MOUSC Derby. Yeah. Right. So if you're going to have a Heritage Classic, make it one outdoor game a year. Now, I understand why the NHL does multiple, because if you look at the attendance figures for these games, they're amazing. Nothing's been less than 38,000 fans in attendance. So I get it. Just from a fan perspective, though, there are too many outdoor games. I liked the All-Star game when they tried something different with uh, the events that they held that were at Vegas. They were Vegas-centric, even though maybe they didn't go so well. Um, But at least they tried something. I give them credit for trying. This is just regurgitating the same old, same old. And something's got to be different. I agree. It doesn't have the same feel to it they're trying to do what they did in baseball with the field of dreams game and you can't recreate that kind of pond outdoor childlike experience when you're in a giant friggin' stadium and i'm just so tired of them i don't even know when they're happening happening anymore when they were brand new i didn't miss them and then i remember that one um was it last year or the year before where they were playing um where was that was that like salt lake Lake city or somewhere Lake Placid, yeah. And I forgot about it until it was two-thirds of the way over. So that one I would have liked to have seen, but I'm just so tired of them, I don't even pay attention anymore. It's bad ice. The camera angles are bad. The weather is either too hot or too cold, and they're always having problems. I'm just – I'm so over them. Yeah. Uh, and not not disagreeing with, with any of that. There should be one. Um, I believe, like they do the Super Bowl, it should be at a neutral site every year. If that's what they're going to do it and put it in a place where you know it's going to be cold, do the game at night so it's not during the day so the snow's melting and uh, the ice is melting and all that stuff. Make it easier for that because I think people would travel for that if there was a one game uh, of the year with your particular team. My problem is the teams. 
There's 32 teams in the NHL. The Chicago Blackhawks have played in 09, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 2019 in outdoor games. The Chicago Blackhawks are not an entertaining team. They have good players that are older, and they struggle. They're one in five in these outdoor games, by the way. Not that that matters. But you're, t- you're trying to grow the game. It's always the conversation of growing the game. And, and the, the NHL is stuck in this weird place where they're trying to grow the game but also hang on to all of the, the lure of the original six. If you're trying to get a 30-year-old to watch, we understand the original six. You probably can no- name those. If you're trying to watch a, get a 15-year-old to watch it, my estimation is they want to see the cool jerseys. They want to see the outside, they want to see the place pack, and they want to see what kind of jerseys and logos and swag are going to come out of that, right or wrong. You've got to start bringing some of these new teams in if you really want to grow this game. Everyone knows who the Chicago Blackhawks are. Everyone knows who the Boston Bruins are. The Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be in their fifth. Boston's now going to be in their fourth. Carolina has never been in one. They're going to be in one 2023. One of the most entertaining NHL teams in the last couple of years, the Florida Panthers, have never been in one. The Tampa Bay Lightning, back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, have only been in one. And that was last year. It's, it's not about seeing the old classic teams anymore. Show us the players. Show us the guys that you are going to try to market this game around. The American audience does not know what they have as a hockey fan in Connor McDavid. Put that guy in an outdoor game against whoever. Who cares? You should be picking maybe the teams that played in the Stanley Cup the year before or the teams that had the most players selected to the All-Star game or like do something like that where you get there's there's an extra thing to it. And, and there's, you know, the Montreal Canadiens just happen to end up being in an outdoor game. It ends up getting played in New York. It's outdoors. Everybody would come and go see that. You go to Boston. How many Montreal Canadiens fans would travel to Boston to see their team play an outdoor game in a Stanley Cup championship rematch? You know, that's, that's where the NHL misses the angle so many times. No, Arizona does not have to be in because Arizona is not a marketing team or uh, doesn't have marketed players but you know who does who in the nhl in the u.s knows who johnny goudreau is you know how many superstars are we missing from the florida panthers just because they play in florida grow the game is showing the world around you what this league has and not just oh everybody recognizes the chicago blackhawks let's play them again and further to your point, Tampa Bay didn't play in a Winter Classic. They played in one of those stadium series yeah, ones too, they, right? They've never been in a Winter Classic. Yeah, and I I love the idea of playing in a market where there isn't a team, like in Atlantic Canada or, um, you know, somewhere along the East Coast in North Carolina, for example, um, where, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a trek for Carolina to get there, but it is still neutral ground and it's in between two central locations. Um, yeah. Find a, find a cold place in Montana and just make it the city where this game takes place every year. 
playing Quebec no, there's City. No, there's no, yeah, there's no specific team there. But if you want to just bring droves of people, like William, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where they'd host the Little League World Series every year since the dawn of time. There's no team there. Nobody, you know. There's the Little League World Series. Create it. Make it your. Make it your own thing. This this outdoor baseball game, this Field of Dreams game, that has to be. Like, they can't ruin that because that was unbelievable. It was perfect. It was so. Perfect. That was unbelievable. Create that. You're telling me the NHL, the National Hockey League, can't figure out how to create the same kind of aura with their history anywhere it doesn't always have to be at Fenway it doesn't always have to be the Bruins it doesn't always have to be Sidney Crosby right they could play it in Quebec City where they have a huge minor hockey tournament right yes it's it's cold there right um you know there's there's other locations that do work can you believe what we just saw this is incredible you know guys I gotta be honest I have goosebumps unbelievable my god and now it's time for our play of the week. And the winner this week is actually plays plural for the first time. We're going to drive deep to center field. Hicks on the run, out the truck, out the wall, and that is gone. Swinging so a drive deep left field. Get up, ball, get out of here, and gone. That he's had one four hit game, and Vladdy has done it again. Way back into the second deck. Have a night, Vladdy. Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit three home runs in the same game for the Blue Jays against the Yankees. And that's the play of the week voted on by you, our fans. Not me. (laughs) By definition, (laughs) it's supposed to be play, not plays of the week. Although the fans obviously felt differently about that and felt that Vlad's performance Vlad's play in game one game was the difference there. And I, I know we saw some people uh, jump on social media and said there shouldn't have been any other options. It should have just been Before Vlad. Before we even put out the poll. Yeah. Maybe it should have just been Vlad. Granted, that was a heck of a performance in the one game. But the other plays were pretty amazing, too. Yeah. You know, for New York goal. The you guys know I'm a Richard. sucker for the catch at the wall. You know no. I'm a, uh, the the perfectly timed catch at the wall. It's going to get my vote all the time. <laughs> I voted for Vlad. What did you vote for, Manny? I voted for Gritchick's catch. I thought that was amazing. Like, uh, Rob's a three-run home run, and they win the game because of it. Yeah. Like, that that has an impact at the end. Although Lafreniere's goal, Lafreniere's goal was pretty good, too. So... Our play of the week is brought to you by London Awnings, quality that shows. And remember to check out Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram for the videos. Uh, we let uh, you pick the play of the week. I mean, we just come up with some options, uh, kind of tantalize you a little bit. Here's a couple that you may want to look at. Well, what do you think about this one? Oh, this one's a soccer one. Oh, look at all this stuff. You guys get to vote, and then we reveal the winner on the next show.
And by the way, that call was by Buck Martinez, and we want to pass along our thoughts. Our thoughts are with Buck as he announced on the weekend that he will be stepping away from the booth to battle cancer. The news came just a few weeks after our good friend Jamie Campbell, who was a former guest on our show, announced his leukemia diagnosis. So um, you go back and listen to that episode with Jamie Campbell. It was great. So we're thinking about both of them and wish them well. Yeah, um, you know, that's what are the chances that two guys who broadcast for the same team are diagnosed with a disease, with a cancer diagnosis. That's that's incredible. So we wish them both well, indeed. And uh, speaking of baseball, it was a tough week for some umpires. Oh, boy. I mean, that one's further away than the others. was a cold strike. He did not point at Matt Chapman and say you swung. Again, tell me if I'm wrong, Buck. Charlie's eyes don't bulge like that very often at all, but it's been going on the whole game. Yeah, and the Blue Jays have not been very happy with the strikes out of Jeff Nelson, the crew chief. Blue Jays manager Charlie Montoyo was ejected from a game last week for arguing balls and strikes, and there were also some bad calls in the game between the Braves and the Padres last week. So, fellas, when do you want to see robot umpires at work in Major League Baseball? Bring on the robots. (laughs) Where are the robots? That's Jeff Nelson. 27 missed calls in that game. His accuracy at 86%. He was accurate at not being accurate. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was terrible. And and the the thing that frustrates me more than anything else with umpires is this guy's terrible, but he gets to decide if you get to participate in the game anymore, and nothing happens to him. Because if Charlie Montoyo goes into a press conference and says that was bullshit, he's gonna get fined. So now the team's going to lose money. He could get he gets tossed from the game as the manager, and the other guy just stands there with the mask. Don't even take the mask off to have a conversation, like an arrogant prick. And and it's completely his fault. There's no other way around judging whether that was a good call or a bad call. Here's the here's the stuff that we have. Here's the technology. Like the Jetsons could figure this out with the technology that they have. How in 2022 are we letting just Jeff Nelson stand there and literally determine participation in the game, balls and strikes, outcomes of at-bats, and and changes the entire thing? I think we need to – I've softened, believe it or not, I've softened my position on robot umpires and the fact that I think we need them on the base paths. I think they serve a purpose on the base paths. There probably should be maybe two, maybe one for the outfield, depending on where they're positioned. But this can't keep up. Like We can't keep letting one guy who's not involved in this competition whatsoever control the competition. See, this is I'm where I thought I was going to argue with you. I'm trying to find a comparison. Like... Imagine just having a guy, having Ernie, just sitting at the sidelines at a basketball game, controlling the shot clock. Like, mm-hmm. That's the only comparison I can think of. Oh, I, I didn't hit it that time. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't hit it. Oh, 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 yeah, they got an extra shot. Oh, they won the game. Like, 
we can do this now with computers and the things, you know, with the typing and the radar, and uh, we can figure this out. This guy does not need to be there, especially with the when they come across like arrogant pricks like that. And you know it's getting bad when Dan Schulman, who is not a homer, he hardly ever says that he's a great baseball announcer, but he hardly ever says anything controversial when he's getting fed up in the middle of a game as he's calling a game. You know there's a problem. You know that an umpire has blown a lot of calls in one game when Dan Schulman is starting to rant about it. This is where I really wanted to argue with you, but I can't really argue <laughs> so much. Like, I want to see robot ums. The fact that the fan on TV can see the rectangle mm-hmm. and can see the ball not hit the rectangle and have it still be called a strike is very frustrating from a van, fan perspective, especially mm-hmm. for your team, right? And I think even if you're even if you're a fan of the team that got away with a ball that should have been a strike, you're probably saying, oh, we got away with that one, mm-hmm. right? Leave the umpires on the field for safer out calls, even leave the umpire behind the plate. He gets the signal that it was a strike or it was a ball or whatever. And he's there at home plate to call the safe or the out if there's a close play at home plate. But the balls and strikes should be done electronically from now on. I agree because I don't mind someone who has a wide strike zone or maybe he has a narrow strike zone or some some umpires call it a little high or a little low if they're consistent. But that's the problem lately is it seems like some umpires, it changes from inning to inning. Something that was called in the first inning is not going to be called in the ninth inning. It drives players and managers insane. Yeah, because it's a difficult job. Like to be able to see what a split finger fastball at – 92 miles an hour is doing uh, out of the hand into the it's a tough job and they're not going to get it right and and if we had our friend adam hooper on the show he's a big fan of umpires so he'd be he'd be backing them a hundred percent um the <laughs> I, I get uh, my, oh, my phone just vibrated how, how does he even know that we're already talking about it <laughs> It's it's the, the the fact that nothing happens to them that drives me crazy. Like everybody has a bad day at work. Everybody has a bad day at work, whatever their job is. If if you work at a grocery store, if you work at a bank, if you work at a radio station, if you don't work, yeah, everybody has bad days. Perfectly understandable. And the, the being under the microscope of standing in front of forty thousand people and millions watching TV. Understandable. Bad days are escalated in those situations. Number one, if you have the ability to to eliminate that and and take that argument out of the game, why wouldn't you take it out of the game? And secondly, why are these guys such jerks when they get questioned? It's not a strike. Most of the time, they won't even look. They won't even have that conversation. These managers are getting ejected before they even leave the the dugouts. Like, sure, we who knows what they're saying, but again, let's be real. There's microphones around those stadiums everywhere. Something's going to pick up somebody uh, of of something that's being said. Like, why? I, I don't know why we're doing this to this these poor people, and I don't know why they have to act the way that they do in generality when someone questions a an, an atrocious performance like that. 
We also have a few listener questions about officiating in the NBA playoffs as our good friend Kiefer and some of the other fans in Raptors Nation oh, are upset. Sorry? He's not picking the song today, is he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with his questions, but no songs. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's going to send one in now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he and some other fans of Raptors Nation are upset with the calls for Joel Embiid in their first round series. Guys, do you think they have a legit beef? Some of the calls are ticky tack, but 90% of them are legit. This guy is a big man, huge man, like bigger than John Rashad's stomach at a Pizza Hut buffet. Wow. Like this guy is seven feet, 280 pounds. You try to stop him from scoring. You might hit him in the arm. You might hit him in the head. You might try to reach for the ball and get his arm or his stomach or somewhere else. So 95, 90, 95% of the calls are legit. The bigger reason why the Raptors are losing this game is the fact that they're not shooting. They're not shooting well. The 76ers are shooting 51% from the floor. They're shooting 48% from three-point land. Two guys, Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, have shot for 107 points in two games. That's the bigger issue. Here, not the referees calling fouls against Joel Embiid. That's crazy good from behind the three-point line. Usually, three-point line, you expect somebody to get 35, 38, maybe 40%, but that's incredible. 48%. Fred Van Vliet was awesome in the first quarter in game two. He was on fire. I think he had 16 points just in the first quarter. The rest of the game, he went two for 14 He had five points. That's why they're losing the game, not because Joel Embiid is still going to the free throw line. One other problem I have, too, on the Raptors, and it's been like this for a couple of seasons. I don't know what it is with this team where you miss a bunch of shots and you still have the confidence to keep taking them. That didn't used to be a thing. It used to be, okay. I've missed a few. I'm going to kick it out to someone else and see if they can drive or if they can give another look to get the ball in the basket. Not, I'm going to keep shooting until eventually I finally hit one. That's the new NBA. You keep shooting until it goes in. And and here's the problem with basketball points. There is, just like holding in football. There's no robots? There is a penalty. Bring, bring on the robot. Bring on the robots. <laughs> Just like in football, there's a holding call on every possession. At somewhere on the field, there is a holding call. Basketball ha- is is become unwatchable for me because every play there's a foul, and nobody's ever committed a foul in their lives. Every time you watch any time up and down the court the confused faces are too much come on that's just part of the game matt if there is a foul literally on every possession which i truly believe there is in 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 the new nba how is one guy shooting more free throws and making more free throws than the other entire team i just explained He's, he's seven feet tall 
So the only place that you can get fouled in a in a world that anytime the ball doesn't go in, there should be a foul is no. just on one guy in the no, no stop stop. Anytime you drive the net in basketball, there is a foul. The no, Raptors just because there is you're he's seven feet tall. He's a monster. You're not going to move this guy. He's not the only guy that's seven feet tall that plays like this. He's the MVP this year. Players and stars get fouls. That's across the history of basketball. Stars get fouls. He's fouled eight and a half times per game in the regular season. In this playoffs, he's been fouled 11 times a game. So three more fouls a game. He's taking more free throws than the other entire team. There is no way if you watch a basketball game and the way that basketball is played and how soft it is that one person is drawing that many fouls compared to an entire team. It's impossible. He's getting fouled three more times a game. That's what you've just said. Yeah. Compared Which to, makes complete then, sense when you when you watch the games. Because three possessions. Yeah, three possessions out of fifty. So he gets he's, he's touching the ball almost every single time he's on the court. And he gets those calls when the Toronto Raptors on the other side don't. Because they don't have an equivalent. They don't have a seven foot three hundred pound guy. But in, in any basketball game, if you want to see a fair basketball game, and if you're going to call fouls the way that the NBA calls fouls, there it, it's virtually impossible for me to believe that one person can be fouled more than an entire team in an even playing field. You and I will sit down and watch a complete game. And go, is that a foul or is that not a foul? I guarantee you there will be fouls that will be missed and fouls that will be called that you will complain. However, as I mentioned, 90% of the calls are legit. The Raptors are reaching in on this guy. You can't do that. They're sending two to three guys at him. You're trying to tell me they're just going to stand there with their arms around him and try not to touch him? Of course they're touching him. And it's a foul. And again, it's not the reason why they're losing. If you're touching him and he's like, this guy is not from Space Jam. He's not in the middle of the air shooting the ball all the time. If you touch him, if he's standing and dribbling and you touch his arm, that is not a foul. But you will see that call made four stars all the time. And because the Toronto Raptors do not have Joel Embiid, the MVP of the season, or they don't have a guy who's got a massive size difference, they're not getting calls. And it's not fair because on every possession in basketball, you could call a foul. Every single star player gets the call. You are right. But it also is going to happen when you send two or three guys at the same guy over and over and they're reaching in trying to get the ball and they hit him instead. It's going to happen. One of the things that I don't understand, too, is what they used to do when you knew a guy was going to get his points. 
you'd stop trying to foul him or stop trying to defend him if you knew you were going to take a bunch of fouls and you would cover the other guys on the team. So Leave him alone. Okay, if we can't stop their superstar, we shut everybody else down. So now he's got to have a 60-point night if they want to win. Yeah, leave him alone. I, I get that for sure. And here's the here's the other thing with the Raptors and with Joel Embiid, who shoots very well from the free throw line. He's not Shaquille O'Neal. He's not some of these guys that are hack-a-shack or 50-50 from the line. He's a good free throw shooter. So the Raptors are not going in there trying to hit him and trying to commit fouls every time. You But you have to bring crowd and pressure on this guy. And if you can't because you're going to get fouled and you can't defend him clean – what are you supposed to do, especially when you're not getting the calls on your end? You come I don't to think, Bias I've Harris. Never said, I've never said that this is the reason the Toronto Raptors are losing. But it, I do not believe that they're playing on a fair ground because of the way that this these games are turning out. I guarantee if they covered Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris, they would have won one of these games. And Raptors fans wouldn't be crying. The only reason they're crying is because they're down 0-2. You know what's funny about this? Listeners can't see it, but Manny has taken his baseball cap off and put it back on about six times during this discussion. I am <laughs> irate. I love it. Are you ready? Now it's time for rapid fire. We have a few more listener questions to get to. Robin London wants to know if we would have removed Clayton Kershaw after seven perfect innings like the Dodgers did last week unequivocally yes this was this was his first start of the season he is coming back from an injury who cares about a perfect game when you're trying to win a championship when you're trying to keep a guy healthy when you're trying to basically pull him back from rehab because he didn't have a chance to rehab as long as he'd like to from the offseason and not having a much spring training because nobody wanted to play nice in the sandbox what what does you don't get an extra win for getting a perfect game? It's great. It's going to put you in in uh, in uh, in Sports Center, and, and they're going to talk about it. And how how great with this? Clayton Kershaw doesn't need a perfect game for people to talk about what a great pitcher he's been for so long. What he needs to be for the Los Angeles Dodgers is healthy. I hear that, Matt. But there's only been 23 perfect games ever in baseball. He needed six more outs. He was at 80 pitches. Give him a chance. The the Dodgers said after the game, Mark Pryor, their pitching coach, Dave Roberts, their manager, that his pitch count was 75. And he was good at 75. They let him stay in longer to complete the inning. But... Yes, there have been 23 perfect games, but you're telling me that the Dodgers, long-term, thinking big picture, trying to win a World Series, are in a better position because Clayton Kershaw took a chance and didn't get a perfect game because there's only been 23 in the history of baseball and and gave up a hit in in the ninth inning with one out and threw 100 pitches instead of throwing 80 as he was scheduled to and had a great performance and something to build off of on a guy that they're going to need to be really, really good for the entire season. Are you telling me that if Clayton Kershaw pitched a perfect game, that it would have impacted their championships? On April the 16th? Absolutely not! Exactly! So let him pitch! But you're willing to risk 
Clayton Kershaw for nothing on April 16th. I'm not willing to risk it. He was at You just said pitches. you wanted him to pitch. Yeah, so there's no if, risk. If he's got two more innings, like what are we capping him at? That's six 100 outs. Pitches. 100 pitches to get yes. six outs. He needs 20 pitches to finish two innings? Yeah. Those are pretty tight innings. Let's Some, say 15 on the major league average. So he's at now 110 pitches in his guy, first game back from injury in April. Who cares? Why would you? You're winning seven nothing already. 98 pitches. How do you know it would have been 110? Some guy in Worcester or wherever threw eight pitches and got three strikeouts <laughs> in one inning in the minor leagues. If you can explain to Magic Johnson and that ownership group when Clayton Kershaw has to have Tommy John surgery because he's feeling a little tightness because he got rushed back. Sorry, sorry, Magic. Sorry, big man. Listen, we were trying to get him up. We were trying to get him a perfect game against the Twins. You're living in a hypothetical world here. How do you know that would have been? So are you. You're telling you're telling me you would have left him in, and you're estimating he's only going to throw 20 pitches for the last two innings and get a perfect game. So if he goes to the ninth inning and gives up a single with two outs, what did you accomplish? You just pitched him more than he was planning to for no reason. I gave him a chance to get into the history books. He's already in the history books. He could have been more in the history books. You can't be more into a history book. You're in the history book. You can't be more into the history book. Your name could be on multiple pages. It's already on multiple pages. Even more pages. He's the second best left-hander in Los Angeles Dodgers history. We're not talking about the Dodgers record books. His name is going to be there enough. Give him a shot. The thing I don't understand is why are we talking about these guys like they're so fragile? It's like, okay, we don't want to risk him doing the job that he's paid to do. It's not like he's playing in traffic. He's throwing a baseball and that's his job. So why not leave him in, especially in that game where if he gives up a grand slam, they're still going to win the game. Yeah. So what do you need him for? Put in the put in the guy that you don't know. It's April 13th or whatever it is. Put in the guy in the bullpen you don't know that you might need, that you need to see pitch against live hitters. Put him in the game. Look, Rashad, you're, you're asking what do you risk. The Detroit Tigers have three starting pitchers right now that are on, on the disabled list. One of them is luckily escaping Tommy John surgery. So what do you risk? Holy shit, you're, you're risking Clayton Kershaw for nothing. For well, then you nothing. should never play him then. You shouldn't play him every five games all season. Then you should only play him like once in August and once in October then if you're if you're that worried about him. You need him for 35 games. You don't need him for one in April. There's nothing you, to say. You need say. him to get you to the playoffs, to get you into the World Series, to win a championship. If you go up and down the streets of, of, of Big Street Boulevard in, in Los Angeles Big and you Boulevard. ask Dodger fans – you ask Vin Scully, would you rather see the Dodgers win a World Series or Clayton Kershaw throw a perfect game in, in April against the Minnesota Twins? What about if, if it's you could win a World Series and see Kershaw complete a perfect game in the same season? Man, if you want to roll those dice, man, you you go right ahead. I, I play in that game. That's That team is too valuable and needs him too much 
for for one throw of a game. It's rapid fire, boys. Let's go. <laughs> Damn it, I'd look to see if anyone interviewed Vin Scully about it, and no one did. I wanted course, to prove they you know wrong. It's a I wanted to question. <laughs> Let him finish. Next question. <laughs> We're going to fight on this one yet, too. <laughs> the LA Angels also issued an intentional walk against Corey Sager while the bases were loaded. That was that was crazy. Uh, Bruce in St. Thomas wants to know what we think of the call. You don't see that every day. Joe Madden made the call. Because he thinks he's smarter than everyone else in baseball. In the history of baseball, apparently. In the history of baseball. <laughs> Why are you conceding a run? You're already losing. What's the matter if you lose by one run or two run or three runs or four runs? It was late in the game. You try to get them out. You don't give up a run. Matt? Rapid. <laughs> I was rapid. That was, I was surprised, actually, by the, by the rap, rap, rapidness. Rapidness. Rapidity? <laughs> Rapidicity. <laughs> they didn't like the matchup. Joe Madden, if you know anything with Joe Madden, and from the beginning, when he became a manager with the Chicago Cubs, he loves the numbers. He loves analytics. He did not like that matchup. And I've read a couple of things about it afterwards, and it's for very good reason why he didn't like that matchup. He liked the next one. You gave up a run. As Manny said, you're already losing. You're down an extra one. It wasn't that late in the game. Mind you, it looks great because they came back and won. But at the time, it's a, you're, you're basically making this a 4-2 game early in the, the first half of the game against a team that puts up a lot of runs. And it's a team that gives up a lot of runs. He took a chance. He likes his team. He thought his team could get the next guy out. And he could thought his team that could score the runs that they would need to win the game. He was right on both accounts. I don't think we're going to see it very often. I like the balls on it. We also got an email from Aaron in Detroit who admits to being a Lions fan and wanting a quarterback, but he doesn't like the three-year $121 million deal for Derek Carr of the Las Vegas Raiders. He wants to know what we think of that deal. So three years at 121, he becomes the fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. I know one person who would say he deserves to be the fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. That guy knows less about football than I do. But what <laughs> I can tell you is that he's got $24.9 million guaranteed. It turns into $65 million if they don't cut him three years after next year's Super Bowl. It's a great number to keep that guy around. He's a good quarterback. They've got Devontae Adams now. They're trying to do something, but they've also got a very quick way to get out of this and not really have it cost that much. I like this as a team deal. If he ends up going the whole distance and getting all this money, then obviously it's a great win for Derek Carr. So there's no way he stays on that team for the full no, I can't, I can't imagine the scenario that he does. And I can tell you the exact day almost that he's going to get cut by the Las Vegas Raiders. But it's a great deal to sign on paper. And I think all the other quarterbacks around him are going to love this deal too. Because if Derek Carr gets this much year to year, he's making more money annually now than the Super Bowl winning super uh, quarterback Matthew Stafford. You're seeing some of these other younger guys that are just coming up. Hey, Derek Carr just 
took a, a, a bullet, one small step for man, one giant leap for quarterbacks here. Uh, I think this is a crazy deal for the Raiders, but that's on the exterior. When you go a little into what these numbers look like, this is probably just a Band-Aid deal. Like imagine Kyler Murray now who's looking for a new deal. He's salivating. Yeah. D- Carr is making $40.5 million annually each year. Are you kidding me? That's what Derek Carr's worth is. He's he's paid as a top five quarterback. He's not a top five quarterback. If anything, he's a top ten quarterback. But the cap, the dead cap hit for cutting him in twenty twenty three is only five point six. So you can't he, get a left tackle for five point six million. Exactly. So it's basically a one year deal. Like they could still cut him. After one year, and the, the dead cap for the 2023 season is only $5.6 million. <laughs> It's a great deal for the Raiders. It's even better the following year. If you keep them for two years, the dead cap then is 3.7. So the Raiders know that their window is small. Mm-hmm. If they don't win within the next two years, they're going to blow that team up. So and I read in the third year, he's only paid in Snickers bars. <laughs> it's a great Mr. deal. Mr. Solid Easter Bunnies. Like, <laughs> like, if I'm a Raiders fan, I'm a more concerned, not about the money we're paying Derek Carr, but can we win in this short window in the very competitive AFC we have another email from David in Oakville about Michael Misa. He just turned 15 in February, and he's been granted exceptional status to be eligible to play in the OHL next season. David wants to know if that should have been allowed. Sixth player to receive exceptional status uh, from the OHL, following in the footsteps of Connor McDavid, John Tavares, um, Aaron Ekblad, uh, just to name three of those players. Everyone I've talked to said this kid should be playing at the next level. So he just turned 15 in February. He won't turn 16 until the following February. So he wouldn't have qualified for the draft otherwise, which is at the end of April. If he's playing well above what his age group is, there's nothing wrong with granting him exceptional status. Nothing wrong with that. I agree with that. I think they've got a pretty good track record of the players that they have picked as exceptional players have gone on to have exceptional careers. If they had a trail of broken players who have come up too early and then been irreparably harmed by it, then I would be completely against it. But they seem to use this in exceptional circumstances, which exactly is what it's for. And so I have no problem with it. Yeah, I, I concern myself simply from the young man's standpoint of, you know, like he's just turned, really just turned 15. He's really 14 um, in in experience. He hasn't played very much. He's going from kids that are at the most 15 to 21. Uh, you know, he's an outstanding talent. I've, I've seen a couple of, of games and, and footage from him and the, the record that he has with the Mississauga Senators and that team is is out of control. Uh, he puts up all the numbers you can possibly imagine. So that all makes sense. Uh, I'm always a little leery about, about putting a 15 year old into a, a pit 
against 21 year olds um, where you know that the game is just so much faster. The one thing I don't like about it, if anything, is this exceptional word because uh, this kid's going to have enough pressure. We've got to find a way to just make this, you know, like a, an entry pick or, or something like that. I, I almost feel bad for the kid um, that he's just going to have this carried on him for the rest of whatever his, his hockey career is. He may end up having a John Tavares career. He may end up having a Sean Day career. Uh, he may not have any career. Uh, and and he's always going to have to be known as the exceptional player, which he is, but there's something about it that just seems unfair to, to put on the kid. See, I don't mind pressure on kids, right? Like there was already the pressure. He already beat Connor McDavid's OHL Cup record for points in the tournament. So that pressure was going to come. But, you know, I, I don't mind putting pressure on kids. If they want to compete at the next level, if they want to get to the next level, there's always going to be that pressure. I mean, we're all exceptional, right? And we all carry it very well, I think. I mean, people call us exceptional all the time. And it we're took successful. me until I was 40. <laughs> I still haven't been called. This is the first time ever I've been called exceptional. <laughs> oh, look, and, and Manny, from a development standpoint for the for the kid, I, I have nothing wrong with the pressure. Uh, there, he's going to be in all of these situations and all that. But ultimately, we know what the OHL is trying to get out of this. We know what the kid is trying to get out of this. It, it, are we it, it, when he's thirty eight? And he's hopefully had a long NHL career. Did it matter if he played when he was 15 or did it matter when he played with his 16? No, it doesn't. And he had more development time for him may be. In the OHL, there's the development standpoint. In in minor, there's a lot more of that. There's more practices. There's more time. Uh, You know, there's there's more camaraderie with, with being a kid does does him having to be in that extra year really matter end of the day i don't think so so it's it, it, I, I accept the pressure i don't like the idea of exceptional from a development standpoint i don't think him just being first overall in the ohl draft is is his ultimate goal does it really have to be right now or does it not it may be but I, not always i don't think The match has been announced. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers will face Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes on the golf course. So let's get it on the record now, guys. Who you got? I'm having a hard time with this one because I'll always pick Tom Brady to win everything. But I just I don't like Aaron Rodgers. I don't want him to win. I just want Tom Brady to win and not his partner. Can Tom Brady not play with Aaron Rodgers? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Can you you break this up a little bit and just not play with Aaron Rodgers? They don't want Aaron Rodgers to have to win anything. Rodgers beat Brady last year. Yeah. Yeah. So I won that bet. Yeah, that's true. You did. I'm going to go the young kids. Mm -hmm. Give me the young kids. And I'll probably hit the ball farther. And I'll go with the GOAT and Aaron Rodgers. John, who you got? I'm sick of Tom Brady, and the way my life always goes, whoever I don't want to win wins, so Tom Brady's going to win. Yeah, boy! A spite boy! Let's go! Don't you know, pump it up, you've got to pump it up. And I don't know if we can top last week's Pump It or Dump It, but here we go. This song has been submitted by Tina in Windsor.
This song is called Light Switch by Charlie Pruth. It's on the top of the charts around the world. So guys, for Tina, pump it or dump it. Is Tina 15 too? <laughs> no, I think she's older. By the way, her email, it was very... So she uh, thinks Charlie Pluth is cute, is what she's saying. She, you know, it was a very well-written email. She said it's she over. liked the show. Oh, so, so she doesn't know what she's talking about. I hate this song. <laughs> so Tina's crazy. <laughs> I don't like this song. Do you like this song? It's it's a, it's too bubblegum pop, cutesy. Eh. Nah. No, I don't mind the, I don't mind the the switch part where it no, just kind of that's the worst part. <laughs> Why do you have no. to put the light switch in the song? The flip of the switch. I, I think it's creative. Listen, I think uh, John Rashad likes this song. So do I. I, I don't mind this song. Yeah! <laughs> John's a top 40 guy at heart. He's a top 40 guy at heart. Always. I, I don't love it, but I'm not changing the station when it comes on. So Rashad, when you're pump. down here at, at the Pava Palace by the Pava Pool... This is not. We're not playlist. getting control of Alexa. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not getting out of the pool to go change it when it comes on. I'm okay with it. No, it's not even going to come on. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Manny would suggest this isn't Charlie Pluth. It's Charlie Poo. <laughs> it's a dump it indeed. <laughs> it's a Mister Solid. It's a plunger. It's plunger worthy. It's a plunger. Like it, pump it or plunge it. I think we got to change the name. Uh, I think we just got one. Charlie Puth plunges to the bottom. Charlie Puth. Charlie Pooh. And that does it for another debate on rapid fire because apparently we're 15. (laughs) (laughs) He said, but we're still exceptional. (laughs) Damn right. Speaking of exceptional, the OT is coming up this week. It's back. It's coming out on Friday. We've got a very, speaking of smart guys, we've got a very special guest. Yeah. Former Sarnia Sting and Owen Sound Attack star defenseman, Nathan Charletti. Who went on to star in university hockey in Canada, now one of the brightest medical students in the country. He will join us on the OT on Friday. Do you think we're smart enough to talk to the likes of him? No. <laughs> but we might we might learn a thing or two from it. Yeah. Get out get out the notepads. Make sure you got a good number four pencil. Hey, you know what I'm thinking? I haven't been to the doctor in a while. I can get him to diagnose me with a couple of see if uh, see if I'm doing okay. Yeah, Maybe but, after the show, because I don't know if we want everybody to know the problems that you have. <laughs> have we ever had a, a we ever had a Riverside FM proctology exam? <laughs> I don't think he's going through psychiatry, John. <laughs> oh, because I got issues. Hi, Nathan. This is what's bothering me. <laughs> As you can tell, it's going to be a good one. Remember, you can follow us on social media for more debate, great content, video, all of that. Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram. If you're still on Facebook, get a calendar, but you can follow us on For Future Considerations on Facebook as well. I don't know why I had to take that shot. That's my preferred social media. I know it is. John's an old man. 
I haven't had Facebook for about six years, and you still ask me, hey, did you see that post on Facebook? <laughs> hey, John, ask Nathan about it. Hey, Doc, yeah, I'm right. still on Facebook. What's this say about me? <laughs> and if you want to go even more old school, you can send us an email. Send us your questions, comments, and topics for future considerations at gmail.com. Spring is just around the corner, we promise, after some of you got snow on Easter. So you might want to improve your home. If you're in the London area, call London Awnings, one of our sponsors of the podcast. Quality that shows, and they certainly produce it. Wow, who wrote that script? That was slick. I like that. Do you like that? What about Shane Topolovic and Next Level Athletics? Hey, boys, we're going to be taking our shirts off pretty soon. <laughs> and guess what? That's going to be awful. <laughs> so that ain't doing anybody any favors. Dr. Charlitty is not going to be able to help us with that. But Dr. Topolovic of Next Level Athletics, Sport Training and Nutrition, will be able to take care of you so you make Mark Wahlberg blush. Self-diagnosed doctor. <laughs> Dr. Topolovic. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the love doctor, isn't he? Yeah, he is the he's the love, the love doctor. doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, tune into the OT later this week for the next edition of Four Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their MO for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.